What's up, everybody, and welcome to another Boardroom Out of Office podcast. This is podcast number 42 in honor of Jackie Robinson, of course. Uh, Gianni, 42 of our original goal of 45. How are you feeling today? It's like we started yesterday. No, no, it doesn't feel like that for me. It feels like <laughs> it's been going on. But I got to tell you something. I've, I fucking, oh, sorry. Well, I fucking love it now. Like, I love it, and I've had... A lot of people tell me, not a lot, I'm going to be honest, not a lot of people, but you know, a good amount of people in my inner orbit tell me like how inspiring they think it is, how much they love our dynamic. And we've had some killer guests, and we're just going to keep doing this. I'm excited for season two as well, but we got a few more, and today's is as special as it gets. Today is somebody that is very new to our family, but has become an integral part of our family very quickly. She is the CEO and founder of Just Women Sports, a company that us here at 35 Ventures have partnered with, invested in, believe in strongly. And uh, I'm excited to have her on, G. Me too. All right, good. Say something, baby. I needed something from you. What do you think? Sorry, I'm forgetting that we're over Zoom and I'm like nodding my head and smiling, think, <laughs> thinking, that, thinking that everybody in the audience can, can catch my vibe, but I forgot I had to say something. Yeah, no, it's all good. It's all good. It's, it's uh, morning time here in New York too, so. Um, all right, well, without further ado, please welcome to the show, Miss Haley Rosen. Haley, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh my God, it's our pleasure. So are you still in New York, by the way? No, I'm in LA. I'm back back in LA. Haley has been, you were in New York for the last week, right? I was, yeah. So what, I, I know we spent time with you. What, what was kind of the gist of the whole trip though? What did you get done while you were here? We have like half of our team is East Coast in New York. And so just popping into New York, bunch of FaceTime meetings, you know, all the agents and stuff. Media, media, media is big in New York. So there's always stuff to do out there. I get it. I get it. Well, obviously for the listeners and, uh, I know they were going to want to hear about this company. 35 Ventures invested in their most recent round. But we also are so strongly aligned and our whole team has gotten to know Haley and her team. And Kevin has gotten to know Haley. And we're really excited just about, obviously, the potential of Just Women's Sports, but how it aligns with what we're doing and how we can help each other grow. And um, you also got to sit courtside at the Liberty game. Friday night, which was popping with uh, Miss Sarah Flynn, the CMO of 35 Ventures. What was it like in the arena that night? That was so sick. Thank you for setting that up. I've never been courtside before. And I'm telling you, it was so sick. Sarah and I had a great time. Those girls are amazing. Like it was really cool watching them up close and it was dope. I also just haven't been in public places recently because of COVID. And so it was like a little weird because you're in a mask, couldn't eat or drink, but it was just really fun. And um, it was an insane ending, obviously, like exactly how it would have been written if it was written. Sabrina hitting the game-winning shot. Did you, were you running on the court? You're not even allowed to run on the court anymore, but that was probably insane. Yeah, they have like a line. You can't even cross it, but it was, it was so sweet. It was just like, it was a great game. Like, I've told you this, but like, you know, I was a soccer player and I think in terms of soccer and it, basketball to me is five on five soccer and having someone score a game winner like make the game winner is just sick Sabrina's so good that's funny Kevin made the same reference when we were 
digging into the Philadelphia Union investment. Like that, that the game of soccer and basketball in some ways more relatable than any others, just like conceptually how it's configured and the goal and getting a basket or a goal. Did you, have you always thought similarities are like that? I think that clicked for me a couple of years ago. My now fiance is like super into basketball. And so he like really got me watching it and that clicked. And it really is five on five soccer. Like the movement, the way you like, I don't know, just move the ball around, just all of it. It's five on five soccer. Yeah. Well, tell me, so, you know, it's funny. I was talking to Gianni a little bit earlier when we were prepping. We do a little prep. But like we, I did get to know a little bit about your background as it related to being the CEO and founder of this company, but I didn't really get to understand your soccer journey and exactly, you know, like what it was like growing up and, and you grew up where again, tell me what your childhood was like a bit. Grew up in LA in Palos Verdes, which is like a beach town. It's a peninsula. Yeah. And was just obsessed with soccer. I think that's probably the best summary of my childhood. Yeah. And was it one of those things where like, you were very young, trying out a bunch of sports, soccer clicked, and that was it. You locked in on it? Yeah, my parents, like, I was just had a ton of energy as a kid. They put me in a bunch of sports, and I just was literally obsessed with soccer from, like, did AYSL with, like, a five, six-year-old kid, lame like everyone else, could barely run around, but just loved it. And that was, like, when Mia Hamm was really big, and the World Cup was happening and all that. And I just, like, just wanted to be really good. I also had a friend at the time, who was the youngest of five and all of her siblings played soccer. And so we would like play in the backyard with them. And like, really that's how I got into it. That's how I got better. It was like playing with the older kids, like on the street in our neighborhood. That's, you know, it's, I have two girls that are 11 and seven about to be 12 and eight. They've both dabbled in almost every sport. They play tennis the most, I think a lot because I play tennis the most now, but I was really conscious of the fact that they didn't have the competitive fire and desire to do it they didn't necessarily love any particular sport and really embrace the things they love dance acting etc i say this because i personally believe as i've gotten now to witness professional athletes and hear about their stories and gianni and i have gotten to listen to so many incredible entrepreneurs and founders and business ceos is that what you do commit to at an early age whatever it may be I do believe that there's a lot to learn from a full level of commitment to it, um, you know, outside of school and that giving everything to that and being as good as you possibly can is a very rewarding experience, even if you don't get to an ultimate goal. It's a lot of work, though. So at what age do you kind of consciously remember, like dedicating your mind to soccer, getting that buy in from your family, your friends and people that knew you knew that like your life was about soccer? It started pretty early, but like, I think I just got more and more and more into it. Like it started by like, when I was 10, I was like, all right, I'm going to do club soccer. And that was a big jump. And then by the time I was like 13, I started driving 30 minutes South to go to a better team. And then by the time I was in high school, I was driving like an hour and a half to go to what I thought was the best team in the country. They were in Orange County at the time. And I, I don't know, like, it's funny too, because I think that you hear of parents that like are putting their kids in different sports and like, do the kids really want it and all that? But like my parents had to like pull me back. Like I can't remember. I, there's so many times like I'd be in the backyard, like kicking the ball around and my dad would be like, you have to come in. Like it is way too dark. Like, come on, we're going to eat dinner. Like I really just was in love with it. And I think that's why it made it so hard to stop too, which we've talked about. But it feels like, you know, because the flip side though, I would say this to other parents that are listening is that, 
it's not that I would have probably drilled my child at one of those particular sports, but I would have really asked them to embrace the idea of committing themselves and seeing how good they could get, but having a healthy balance. There are some parents that go crazy and have a delusion of who their kid could be or race the process of being a kid. Do you think your parents gave you a pretty healthy balance of letting you go after this goal and encouraging it, but knowing that there was other priorities for you at your age? Yeah, I mean, at some point, like my life revolved around soccer. And I think at that point, you lose some balance. But like, I mean, my parents did everything for my soccer, you know, we like we were driving down to Orange County, like four or five days a week, like that is like giving up so much of your life every weekend was traveling, you know, we were playing games in Alabama and Kansas City, like we were going all over for soccer, and they made that possible. And, you know, soccer, and this is like a problem, like, it's not cheap, you know, they funded the dream, which is like, really cool. So like, I am super grateful for everything they did. And I will say too, like, I totally agree with you. Like that journey of like, you know, you set this goal and you actually like put in the work day in and day out and you see yourself get better and then you break through and you see that you can get even better. Like, that's just huge. Like, I think that's the best part of sport. It's not over for your kids yet, too, Rich. They're only 12 and 8. They can come yeah, back to yeah. it at any moment. <laughs> no, no, no. And listen, they play a great deal of tennis. I Actually, thank you, G. You're, I love this guy because I don't want that to sound like I have given up. I actually truly enjoy the process of driving them to dance or waiting outside. I mean, they do it a lot during the week now, so it's harder for me than when they did it on the weekends. And in tennis, I love watching their lessons. And, and, and this summer, they're playing a ton of tennis. But what I meant was is that like, I think having this awareness um, is healthy because a lot of times, you know, Haley, your parents did give up a lot and, and you should be incredibly grateful, but the process is truly rewarding for a parent. I think what's frustrating is when they kind of see the frustration that their child has at not being necessarily good at something and you knowing that that's because you can't get good without working. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. that's the point where it's like, well, I can't like, yeah, you could play any sport you want recreationally forever. I do. I didn't, I didn't do this as a kid, by the way. I wish I committed more to something of that nature. But I just think that like the work ethic to get good is you have no idea where it takes you. I mean, in Haley's case, obviously, Haley, it took you to play in college at Stanford. But what what's the climate? Because I know there's like different levels of success earlier for soccer players because you want to get to potentially the Olympic team or the Nationals. Were you in Team USA's program? Yeah, I, you know, 14. I think that was like the first camp, like U14 national camp. And a lot of those girls that I grew up going to camp with are now on the national team, which is like really cool to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it was my world. It was my whole thing. Um, so what was the like goal for you is it to play in the olympics play division one soccer and then play professionally yeah hell yeah and nike deals <laughs> and nike deals <laughs> didn't quite get there but that was the dream did you dominate at stanford you did right i so this is like really where my career fell apart i had four season ending injuries and that just like really set me sideways it also like physically like i mean and it led to an early retirement for me because physically like i was just in pain you know when you hit that point it's like i loved it so much it was so fun it was all i wanted to do and then every time i got on the field like everything it just hurt like it just wasn't as fun and then also for me like having four season ending injuries and not really 
being able to have the type of college career I wanted, not being able to play consistently over a long period of time, I lost a lot of confidence and that really shook me. And that's like, that was like, that's probably my biggest regret of my playing career is I think I let the setbacks get to me. Yeah. But for, I mean, listen, I've also watched this firsthand and it's a lot to come back from one. Did So you really had like every season would get yourself back to playing and would have another end to the season. It was so brutal, Rich. Like I, so my freshman year, I basically, I overtrained and I took a hamstring strain and turned it into a tear. And then I tried to play on the tear. And then as a result, I tore the labrum in my hip. And that's what was the issue. That's like what led to ongoing injuries. Cause I was like, I'm not going to fix that. That's way too big a procedure. I want to play. And then basically up and down my right side, you know, I hurt my knee, I hurt my ankle kept hurting my hamstring. Like I was just stupid and stubborn and thinking short term, but I had, you know, bad luck too. Like my sophomore year, it's like the 10th game of the season. I got tackled and tore the ligaments in my ankle. Like it's, you know, some stupidity, some bad luck. Yeah. But you, I mean, you made all pack 12, right. And you obviously went on to play professionally. Yeah. So you, you fought through this. I mean, I think you should be, listen, so few people get to where you got, um, how long did you play professionally and, uh, and where, and at what point was it kind of uh, time to hang it up for you? Yeah, I played with the Washington spirit for a bit and then went abroad to a team in Scotland called Glasgow city. And that's where I played in champions league, which was a really, really cool experience. And then came back and played in Seattle for a bit. That was like when it was time to like hang it up. Like I wasn't even at that, it was like, my hip was just bugging me so much. I wasn't really getting breaks, you know, at, at the time too, like the NWSL, like there just wasn't a ton of opportunity. Like there weren't as many teams as there are now, the rosters were smaller. And so, you know, if you weren't consistent and you weren't consistently in a team and consistently healthy, like it's tough. Yeah. And what, and what would you say that, so this is in what year? Oh man. Um, 17, 18. Seventeen, eighteen. So, and what was kind of the the state in your in your mind, uh, the state of women's sports, and your kind of feeling about like hanging up your um, hanging up your career, and like what now sports could do in your life. Like, did you think there was a ton of opportunity? So that was like a really weird time because I think on a personal level, like I was watching my dreams like fall apart, and so you know that's emotional and hard and hard to accept and you know I'm stubborn obviously and it's just hard to like really kind of accept the writing on the wall on the other side though like that whole experience is what led me to starting just women's sports because you know I bounced around in every team every league every country we were selling out stadiums attendance was up viewership was up there's new sponsors you know you could see after games like the fans were waiting for hours for autographs from people that didn't even see the field, just a ton of momentum. And then when I stopped, like I, you know, my world was women's sports. And so I, there wasn't really opportunities there. And so when I stopped, like I just got a job. I started, went back to San Francisco. I was working in tag, kind of following my peers down that path. And that for me was like, wait, like what? Like I can't follow this at all. Like that doesn't make any sense. So 2020, you launched, well, last year. Wow. Shit. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> said that thing like it was back in the day. Um, so last year you launched Just Women's Sports after being out in the Bay and technology, which whether you know it or not, probably was an incredible experience, gave you a certain level of perspective, let you step away, see clearly, and I'm sure meet people that have now played a part in what you're building. Um, 100%. You launched the Instagram for um, Just Women's Sports. And what month was that last year that you did it? We, so we like, there's more of a story here. Do you want to hear the Instagram story? Uh, I want to hear all of it for sure. <laughs> we need the us. tea. This is, this is the actual tea. I'll tell you guys because you're our partners. Um, I was at my job. And I was working at a company called Striver. Uh, and Rich, you're 100% right. Like just being in the Bay, working at a startup, meeting investors, like that set all this up for me. But I was thinking, you know, there's not enough women's sports. Like there should be more. There should be more. I can't believe platforms aren't doing this. What's going on? And basically I was like, well, a lot of this is being covered through Instagram. I can start an Instagram account. Like I can do this. So that's how basically the whole thing started is I was like, all right, it's going to be like a house of highlights, but just women's sports. So grab the name, just women's sports and started ripping women's sports highlights. And you've seen my personal Instagram. Like there's nothing there. Like it's, I'm not, wasn't good at social media at all. And that just women's sports account just started growing and growing and growing. And it was super validating that I'm not the only one that wants this and is seeking this out and wants to see women's sports as sports and doesn't want to, you know, hear about a lot of the fluff. Like they want the highlights. They want to know what's going on. And so I did that actually in 2019, right before the world cup. And then I learned what copyright was and I learned you can't just steal clips. <laughs> and so our account got shut down and that was actually the best thing that happened because I spent, a couple months figuring out, all right, what could this really be? Like, there's clearly an opportunity here. How can we build a business around this? And then we launched in January 2020 as a newsletter and started kind of building from there. And then we actually got the Instagram account back through many emails to Facebook and away we go. <laughs> so, I mean, first of all, the name is everything. I mean, it's not everything, but it's a very important part. And when you get one and one is thought out, that connects and makes sense and it has such an incredible meaning like this one and she says it all that's an incredible start i mean you must have been geeked to know that was available and was the name just something you like said and realized that was the name yeah like it was like i it's just been weird like some of this has been really easy and like coming up with the name like it was literally we were like okay we don't want it to be like rah rah we don't want it to be her like it's just like, what should we call it? Like something really black and white. And I was like, Women's Sports Network. And that name was actually taken. And I was like, okay, it's literally going to be just women's sports, like hard stop. And I was like, what it? Let me see. And I was like, I'm going to grab that. <laughs> like, That's it. But it was literally the second name I came up with, but it was always, this is actually something, Rich, I got to tell you, like that I liked about you guys early on, because a lot of people have told me that we need to change the name that they don't like it. It's too polarizing. I'm like, but it's literally exactly what it is. Like what's polarizing about it. I don't get yeah. it. No, that's insane. I hope those people aren't working with us on this, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so you launched the gram in January. Was there a bigger vision for it or have you, did you just start going, um, when you first started the gram? Yeah. I mean, honestly, this is like another thing that I feel like hasn't changed from day one. I was like, there needs to just be a media ecosystem around women's sports and everything you see on the men's side, it's going to exist on the women's side. Someone's just got to go build it. And so 
you know, the strategy around how we get there and what pieces come first, that shifted. But like that big vision of what this could be has never changed. Um, that's amazing. And then so the newsletter, the gram you're building, and then obviously the pandemic hits brings, um, you know, so much change across the board, so much more focus on content that gives everybody that's staying busy and has a point of view uh, an opportunity. And then obviously the world shifts on a whole other level. Um, and the conversation around just women's sports and women's sports in general becomes as top of mind and, and front and center as it's ever been. So what was this whole process like, you know, the, the pandemic as you were building this business and then um, just like the events of the summer and, and, and how you guys started to play a role and, and a, have a voice in all of it? Yeah, I mean, early on when we launched, we were growing like you know it is growing we're building momentum slowly but surely we're a small team but building and a lot of the feedback in the early days was you know women's sports isn't viable they'll never be big people aren't interested and i actually think you know as horrible as the pandemic has been like just sort of like in the lane of women's sports it's offered a lot of opportunity because when sports slowed down and the nwsl was the first league back and then the WNBA was playing without a lot of noise, we saw people give these leagues a real chance and tune in and show up and give it a watch. And they liked it and they stayed and they built and they thought it was cool and they started talking about it. And I think that was just a huge opportunity for women's sports. And then obviously the WNBA and all the activism and everything you know that women's sports pushes on from sort of a, a cultural standpoint was super you know, really timely, really important. And like, I think a big part of the growth. And I think for us, we were fortunate to, you know, have a similar sort of opportunity as a brand. And I think it's been really cool to see the conversation shift from the early days to like, everyone's like women's sports are the future. And it's like, absolutely. That's what we've been saying. Let's go. And it really has shifted. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I know Kevin mentioned this to you when you met him at our offices, just about, you know, how, much in support he is of really trying to, to bring awareness to not just women's sports, but obviously the WNBA. And this is something that he's always focused on. His teammates, Kyrie, et cetera, always are focusing on. We noticed the change in culture a bit at the Nationals, which we told you, the junior basketball Nationals um, a few years ago. Uh, across the board, do you think at the grassroots level, are you feeling that this is something – uh, at least across the whole country that's starting to really have a light and see and, and, and tell me a bit of like, not just what you guys are going to do, but how it has to change. I mean, I know you always talk about how 44% of athletes are women and 4% of sports coverage is given to women, period, right? So that's not going to change overnight. That's not changing drastically right now. But what is the roadmap? This is a big question, Rich. Also, you did your homework. <laughs> a little bit. I said a little prep. <laughs> did your prep. Um, you know, something, so a bunch of things here. I think the first thing is, you know, something that I think has been a really cool shift that has been something I've been like really pushing on is, you know, we got to get hyped about around women's sports. It's not about support. You know, there's, there's so much here, right? Like sports are culture. They're, they're, sports are huge, right? But if we don't treat women's sports like sports, if we don't cover these athletes through an athletic lens, we're doing them a disservice. And so like, I think it's great 
when I'm in your office and you guys are debating the WNBA draft and you know, who's going to go first and what teams are going to be great. Like that's sports. Like that is where we're trying to go. And like, I think that's super sick. And I think, you know, there is this post title nine generation title nine was passed in the seventies. There's this generation of women that have grown up playing sports at an amateur to professional level that want to watch the game that they know. And that I think is a huge shift that we cannot understate. So like, Whatever has happened with women's sports in the past, whatever hasn't worked, it doesn't matter. There is a new demographic that wants it. And right now they're hyper fragmented. You know, they're following their favorite teams or their leagues or their favorite athletes. There's no ecosystem pulling that all together to build the world. That's why we exist. That's what we're trying to do. And so the way that we grow this space is one, pulling it all together under a single umbrella. That means pushing in our digital channels, expanding audio networks, and then we keep going, right? And so something that we always say is there's two things that need to happen for women's sports to truly become mainstream. One is the games need to be accessible. You know, right now it's way too hard to watch women's sports. Someone asked me like, you know, someone's flipping through the channels and a, a WNBA game comes on. Like, how do you get them to stay? Like if they stumble across a women's sports game, like, that's not a scenario that exists. You don't stumble across women's sports. You actively seek it out. On the other side of it, though, you know, even when these games are getting on bigger networks, we're not, you know, where are the Instagram posts and the pregame coverage and the postgame coverage and, you know, who's overperforming and the rivalries and what to watch? Like, where is that content? And so for us, that's where we're starting with the goal to have the games. We want to make this world accessible so people can be a casual fan. Well, by the way, you took my long question and you gave an incredible answer gianni do you have something <laughs> yeah and i actually got this from you i was watching your interview at cheddar tv the other last week and in addition as you were saying it's around there's not well at least from the general public i feel like there's less narrative less storytelling around women's sports in general example you're from la you're a lakers fan you already know to hate the celtics <laughs> yeah. and i feel like we don't get that in women's sports yeah. And like, I think about the NWSL, like Portland and Seattle hate each other, hate each other. Those games are crazy, but we don't talk about that. We don't cover it like that. Like these girls, like they're, <laughs> those are fun games to watch. And like, that's the stuff I think we need to push on more. Yeah. And you know what? The thing is, is that the, the leagues and the brands, you know, when everyone posts that they're committed, I believe it. Even if it's probably not true, I believe it because they're they're going to say it first, right? And now you got to back it up. But that's not everything, because all of the attention and all of the awareness is not just brought from the institutional brands, the private equity and ventures venture capital companies investing in people like Haley and investing in other companies to start to create the culture that's needed and the storytelling that's needed and the rivalries and the in depth analysis and look and give more women the opportunity to talk on big networks or create their own networks to cover this kind of stuff is a big part of it. And I love the fact that, you know, the people that have invested in just women's sports obviously believe it. We believe it and see it. Um, tell me a bit about like who your partners are and, and the fundraising to date. Obviously I know, but I want our audience to hear. So, and, and give me an idea of where you are now, as opposed to when we started with the newsletter and Instagram and, and um, just the current state of Just Women's Sports. Yeah. Well, we partnered with these really great people. They're called 35 Ventures. <laughs> I heard they're <laughs> insanely amazing. <laughs> they're kind of weird, but it's fine. <laughs> um, 
but uh, our lead investor is Will Ventures. And I think, you know, I've said this to you, like, I think they're the perfect lead for this. They're super tied to the sports world, the sports industry connected to leagues and teams and right holders. So I think the right sort of lead for us. We've also brought on, you know, VCs like Drive by DraftKings, because I think betting in women's sports is going to be huge. And we want to set that up. Um, we have also, I think, been really fortunate to partner with some dope athletes like Kevin, um, but also like women like Elena Del Don, Kelly O'Hara, um, Sam Uez from the U.S. Women's National Team. And that to me is, you know, such a huge piece of this because, you know, I really, really feel strongly that we cannot build a media brand around women's sports without including the women that make women's sports what it is and including athletes that make sports what it is. So that's been a really critical piece of this. And, you know, for us, I mean, you know, <laughs> we just closed um, and we're building like we have we've been a really small team, you know, scrapping and fighting for an opportunity and, you know, beating the drum of women's sports and we have a chance now. And so it's time to go. There's a huge opportunity in front of us. It's time to build the team, build out content and start really executing against some of these opportunities we're seeing. The thing that I love that you just did was a say the time is now we got to go. I say that shit every day. Um, I think people that are leaders and entrepreneurs under, feel that urgency, even if it's not there. You got to like create that thing. I mean, I was listening to J. Cole's interview on the Etcetera's, also on the boardroom.tv. It's going to say good cross promo. <laughs> boom. Um, where J. Cole talked about it, you know? So, um, yeah, I just wanted to point that out. I appreciate that. <laughs> Why don't Seattle and Oregon like each other? Seattle and Portland because Sorry, Portland. No, they I think that they for a long time most of the NWC was on the East Coast and they were the two West Coast teams and Portland's fans are so into it. Like that team that city gets behind the thorns. And then same with it was the Seattle Rain, now the OL Rain. The same thing. So they had awesome fans that got hyped and you know, people could travel to those games. So Seattle fans could go to Portland, Portland fans could go to Seattle, and it would just get crazy. It was awesome. What is it about? How many women's sports leagues are there, professional ones? So we got NWSL, WNBA, LPGA, WTA, Athletes Unlimited now, which is exciting and different. Um, you know, obviously there's stuff happening in women's hockey right now, NWHL and the PWHPA. Um, the World Surf League is doing some really, really awesome stuff. I'd say those are probably our biggest ones. I'm hoping I didn't miss anything. There's, you know, some professional volleyball leagues that are starting to pop up, which is something to watch out for. It's like the second most popular women's sport or girls sport. We don't have a professional league, so that's, I think, an exciting opportunity. Yeah, I mean, by the way, back to uh, not giving up on <laughs> my daughters. My older daughter actually said she wants to play volleyball next year. That's are they tall? Because you're tall, um, right? She's a good athlete. They're both very tall and they're good athletes. They're incredible dancers. I mean, they dance a few days a week, like in company. So that's like their workout, you know, like they get after it. I didn't mention this before, but I was obsessed with soccer. And then I also danced until freshman year of high school. I did. Oh, nice. I did the whole but, thing. Like modern, <laughs> modern dance. I did ballet. I did modern. I did jazz. I did tap. Like, yeah, that, that was that's me. Cool. That probably helped you in sports anyway. I think ballet was huge. It was super huge. What type of dance do your girls do? They're doing like, you know, like hip hop and, and um, more choreographed routines to contemporary music. And then 
when they go deeper in the company, it'll probably be more like modern dance to study. That's that so cool. That's so fun. Yeah. I don't know if the younger one is going to go all the way with it, but whatever. Let me get back to you. <laughs> um, do you think the, like, the role that you have now that you can kind of ca- like that you can create this culture that, that part of what like house of highlights did and part of like the bleacher reports and all these other companies is they all talked about all of it, right? We obviously at boardroom, we found our niche in within the sports media landscape. Um, do you think that this kind of culture needs to be covered by multitude of companies? Are you seeing other women out there that are starting other men that are starting companies in this space? And because do you agree that obviously it's not just like, it's not going to be the WNBA's website or their app. That's where you'll go get some games, but you got to get in the ecosystem of all these like emerging technologies and make women's sports. Like you said, this is not a model that has to be reinvented. Like the sports coverage around men is all of the time. And it's, We've seen it, the hard knocks. We've seen the analysis, the coaches' corners. That will work in women's sports. So do you see other companies starting to emerge in this way? Yeah, I mean, 100%. And I think, I think it's great because, listen, like for us, I see the opportunity that existed around ESPN in the 80s, right? And that's what we want to do. And that's how big we want to go as our company. You know, with that being said, like part of, you know, the ecosystem feeds itself. So I think that having more players, having great journalists, having mainstream media start to cover it, it's all good. The rising tide raises all boats. And so I think, you know, we're going to see more brands and companies focus exclusively on women's sports. And some are going to be culture and some are going to be a lifestyle and some are going to be more sports specific. And that's all good stuff. We yep. want more. It's 4%. You know what I yep. mean? Like that is nothing. And so even if we become the type of platform that I want us to be and I'm pushing for and striving for, I believe there's still going to be dozens of companies focused exclusively on women's sports. And that's awesome. Yep. You know, um, we had Carly Lloyd on an episode of boardroom, another plug. Yeah. <laughs> I can't stop. <laughs> um, and she mentioned that when playing pro ball in Europe, like noticing how much better they do telling these stories and going deep into this kind of coverage. I mean, have you recognized that as well? You know, I think it's interesting with Europe because in my experience playing overseas, you know, they're a little bit behind on some of the the gender stuff. You know, I, I felt I felt more of I mean, candidly, you just feel more of the sexism, especially around sport, but they love soccer and it's like they almost can't help themselves. They love it so much. So I think it's like it's true. I think what she said is right. Um, but I think that's like, I think that's such a good example of like what we can do in the U S of like, if you love basketball, don't you want more basketball in your life? Like it's kind of that simple. Yeah, no, I think that's true. But I think like you said, um, you know, when you create the narrative and the storytelling and you show these sides of it and show like Kevin said to you when he was here, like, I want to see the sweat. I want to see the. I want to see yeah. the shit talk. I want to get the access. <laughs> like that's how we fell in love with it to begin with. The storytelling and all that was really secondary. When I was growing up, it was like the access and you know, the competition is incredible. Like you saw at the garden or my bad, yo, Barclays the <laughs> other day. Um, you know, the excitement, it looked like a it looked like a playoff game. Um, and Sabrina running around the court. So, I'm excited about the future. I'm excited to be your partner. Um, I'm excited for what you're building. The sky is really the limit because the numbers are so staggering. So there's just so much ground to make up and 
so much uh, room to build. And I'm excited to kind of be on this journey with you. Rich, I think that there's a huge opportunity in front of us and I'm appreciative of the opportunity you guys have given us. And I'm excited to like, let's, let's go get it. Let's go get it, man. G, anything? Uh, nah. All right. <laughs> By the way, sometimes say less, say less. Well, thank you so much for joining uh, episode number 42. Please keep subscribing keep following go on justwomensports.com follow all of their incredible content and podcasts and we're gonna have collaborative content so yes good afternoon everyone we out